Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by, powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Good morning. This is Ava sitting in this morning for the Dr. Pat, for Dr. Pat. With the Dr. Pat Show, and we have an incredible show for you today. And Dr. Pat sends her greetings. We'll be back with you next Monday. But my guest today is Brian. And good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm the, your, the line is a little scratchy. I hope you can hear me okay. I can hear you great. I hope all our listeners can hear us okay. And there's no scratchiness on the coming over the airways. So how are you doing this morning, Brian? Uh, very good. I'm in Houston today. It's uh, We have a cold front coming through, and the sky is black and raining, which is uh, sort of normal for this part of the country. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we have um, some sun peeking through here in Seattle. I'm here in Seattle physically. And, you know, it's amazing how you're in Houston, I'm in Seattle, and our station is in California. There you go. <laughs> and we are broadcasting, actually, all, anyone all over the world can listen to us. That is the... That's the amazing thing. We have listeners uh, in all different countries uh, that log on and listen to Dr. Pat on Mondays uh, from on, on HealthyLife.net, and that's the amazing thing about uh, you know about our technology today. And just even 10 years ago, this was not something that was common. Oh, you bet. I mean, I work uh, one of the uh, one of the sideline sorts of things I do is I work for one of the uh, local um, Pacifica stations here in Houston, uh, and and we deal with similar sorts of issues and technology and everything from you know whereas it used to just be simple FM, now it's high definition radio and it's podcasting and it's web streaming and uh, and it's a great opportunity, particularly for stations that are that are historically very local, to um, to sort of get whatever they're doing you know out uh, out into the world. Yes, it's absolutely wonderful, and that's what you're doing is getting your uh, your dreams out into the world. And uh, you've been a poet, and I, I called you Brian, but your name uh, is Brian Swain, mm-hmm. and you've been a poet, and you've uh, won some awards for your poetry. And is this? And, but today we're going to be talking about a novel that you've written. Is that correct? Right. It's a little bit of a little bit of a change of pace. I actually do. Uh, I've been writing relatively seriously for uh, probably uh, gosh eight or nine years, um, and and a good portion of that was, as you say, uh, poetry. Uh, but uh, but I've also taken a break from that from time to time and, and done some short stories, some short fiction. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, um, completed uh, completed the first novel, which is uh, which is World Hunger. There's actually a second one uh, completed in draft and sort of sitting on the shelf and, uh, and waiting waiting to see how we do with this one. But um, but yeah, this is uh, this is the first full length uh, full length book. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna take a short break here in just a, just a second and come back with Brian. We're gonna talk about his novel 
World Hunger. This is Ava sitting in for Dr. Pat today, and uh, we'll be back here in just a second to go over. Uh, now, would you consider this to be sort of a sci-fi book? Uh, no, it's uh, it's. I would call it more of a uh, more of a corporate thriller sort of thing, along the lines of uh, if you're familiar with Michael Crichton, it's uh, similar in style to that. Wonderful. Okay, well, we're going to be. Uh, coming back and going over some details and kind of giving everybody a little bit of a hint about what the book is going to be about okay. and where they can buy it. Sometimes your favorite shows on HealthyLife.net are on when you're busy. Maybe you're working, sleeping, exercising, eating, or meditating, and forget to listen to your favorite Healthy Life host. Now there's a solution. You can record or schedule a recording time of any of our radio shows direct to your PC. Then listen on your PC to the show anytime or convert the file to an MP3 and download it to your iPod or MP3 player. The iSound WMA MP3 Recorder 6.57 software offered by Abyss Media is easy to use and affordable for only $29.95. Plus, if you have any problems, you can receive free email technical support. Speaking of technical information and general info on how to order the iSound WMA MP3 Recorder 6.57 software, you can get all of that information right on our website at HealthyLife.net. You don't have to miss your favorite show ever again. Plus, you can download your favorite show and take it anywhere you want. Order the iSound WMA MP3 recorder right from HealthyLife.net today. In the early hours after the tsunami, it was ham radio that was on the air, saving lives. When Florida was ripped by hurricanes. The hams were there in the critical moments after the attack of 9-11. It was the hams who coordinated emergency messages. When disasters strike, the hams are ready. Ham radio works and other communications don't. To learn how you can become a ham radio operator, call the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, at 1-800-326-3942. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Good morning, everyone. If you're just joining me now, this is Ava sitting in this morning for Dr. Pat. And uh, my guest today is Brian Swain, and he's written a book called World Hunger. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the book and a little bit about Brian. Brian's on the line with me now. So, Brian, just before we went into the break, we were trying to give everybody a, an idea of uh, what the book uh, is like. So did you want to chat about that a little bit and give uh, us sure, a sure. sneak preview? Yeah, it's a, um, it is, of course, fiction, uh, and that, that's important to point out because there are a lot of uh, things talked about in here that uh, uh, that sort of uh, stretch the uh, the bounds of uh, credulity a little bit, and, and, and so I don't want to give the impression that, that everything that's going on here is, is necessarily occurring right this second, uh, although many of the things that, that make up the premise of the book are, are certainly at least plausible, um, if not uh, if not possible. Um, it is uh, it is as I was saying before um, a uh, what what book people would refer to as a thriller. It's got a lot of uh, corporate element to it. It's got a good deal of uh, biotech and science to it, um, and it's uh, primarily on the subject of genetically modified crops. 
And uh, I guess I would say the, the, the synopsis of, of what goes on in the story uh, is that a company um, that, makes, uh, that makes these genetically modified crops gets to a point where they are um, testing them in the field, uh, and they do this in several countries, places like Colombia and Ecuador and Belarus and so forth. Um, and uh, as, they, uh, as they plant these test fields, the local uh, insect species, that, uh, that that live uh, that live near these fields um, sort of sees the opportunity to uh, to have a go at a new crop species that they're not familiar with, which is something that uh, uh, many uh, many insects uh, will do in places like this if they've uh, sort of uh, if the if the local crops have sort of developed some sort of immunity to uh, to being attacked by uh, by local insects. Then when you introduce something new, uh, it's very much to the liking of, uh, of of insect species. So in this case. All of the various genetically modified traits that have been built into the plants, things like uh, strength and resistance to pesticides and uh, dryness and cold and, and all of that, um, end up getting trans- transmitted, if you like, into the insect species, and uh, and then bad things sort of uh, sort of flow from that. Now, did you do quite a lot of research, uh, scientific research? On the book. Yeah, there actually is, uh, and I am not. I should I should certainly state from the outset I am uh, I am not a a biotech expert. In fact, actually I'm an electrical engineer by uh, by training, so it's a so it's a little bit of a little bit of a stretch in that respect. But yeah, I did a tremendous amount of uh, of web research and uh, reading journal articles and, and books and so forth. Um, and there actually is on the nonfiction side, there is a tremendous amount of literature out there on the subject of genetically modified crops. Um, everything dealing from this, the scientific side of it to the um, to the sort of geopolitical and ethical issues around GM and, and all of the attention that that's, that has gotten, um, and it's pretty difficult nowadays to uh, to even pick up a newspaper or a news magazine uh, and not find something in it from some part of the world uh, where an issue uh, an issue has come up around uh, around the subject of, uh, of genetically modified crops. It's a very uh, a uh, very common thing, a very uh, very widely uh, widely publicized thing, particularly in countries and areas of the world uh, where they have, um, uh, let's just say, many many issues with the technology, and they're not comfortable with it. Um, places like Western Europe, for example, um, you don't hear as much about it in the U.S. or in perhaps places like India and China uh, because they're they're more comfortable with the technology. Um, but uh, but Western Europe, for example, they are they are not so much. You do hear it. Um, uh, you do hear it talked about, for example, in the U.S. when people get into conversations about labeling of of things like packaged goods. Um, but to, just to give you a specific example, in the um, in the U.S., for example, uh, many many things that you buy in a grocery store have some sort of um, soy or soybean uh, oil or element to them. Um, and the great majority of soybeans that are grown in the U.S. are in some fashion or another uh, are GM crops. Um, but uh, but people don't uh, generally get too concerned about that in this country, except again in the in the context of labeling uh, and uh, and wanting to know what's uh, you know what's in the things that they're eating. And yet, even though you know we don't have much concern about that, do you think that that's mostly out of ignorance that we don't have concern about that? Um, I think yeah, I think there's some of that. I think if uh, if it was possible um, to to accurately state uh, you know on the side of a uh, of a box of 
cookies or cornflakes or what have you, um, what 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 ingredients were or were not um, GM um, affected in some way, um, that might certainly have an impact on on people's perspectives of it. But I think the other part of this it's is partly, as you say, ignorance, partly um, uh, just. Um, uh, just lack of concern. I mean, it's uh, you know, and, and one of the things that people uh, have to weigh, and it's and it's a difficult thing, is on the one hand, if I have a GM crop, let's say a corn plant, um, that um, to pick a, a sort of an older technological example, going back to the 80s, that has the ability to secrete a uh, a, a pesticide, an anti-pesticide um, uh, that keeps uh, that keeps uh, insects away, um, is that a preferable thing? versus having a non-GM corn plant um, that the farmer has to spray with external pesticides in order to keep the insects off. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not apparent to, uh, to a lot of people which of those two options is, uh, um, you know, is the one that they, would, uh, that they would prefer. Well, I think, you know, some of the things that you've pointed out in your novel, you know, the, the rushing these things to market uh, uh, before they've been tested, does sort of tend to be the way that uh, that corporate America operates. Period. Oh, you bet. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, look, especially in this country. I mean, we operate particularly publicly traded companies. Um, you know, live from quarter to quarter, right? They, uh, you know, they have financial reporting obligations, and uh, um, and they, and their stock. You know, they live and die by their stock price, and uh, and they need to produce tangible results. Uh, you know, every quarter, and certainly in the short term. And so many, many decisions are made uh, in, in the corporate sense. Um, arguably, um, perhaps uh, things are pushed into market uh, faster, perhaps, than, than, than some would like. And the trade-off here always will, will always be um, sort of speed of innovation, right? It doesn't, and it doesn't matter in that case whether we're talking about crops or new types of airplanes or cars or, or anything, really. Um, you know, there's always, a, there's always going to be safety issues. And so the question is, how much certainty uh, can I deliver before um, before I actually uh, decide that enough is enough, and I'm and I'm actually going to take this to market? I mean, the, the pharmaceutical industry is a great example. You know, they go through a tremendous amount of rigor uh, with the FDA and so forth before they're allowed to to put new drugs on the market. But you know, can can any can they actually say, you know, we are 100% certain that uh, you know that nothing will happen? Um, and I think in virtually every case, uh, you never really achieve 100%. You just make a uh, hopefully an informed and a uh, and a judicious decision that uh, that you've done all that you can do and uh, and you uh, and you go ahead and go to market. Well, I mean, I think for the record, I probably need to you know express my bias and that I have a I do have a bias um, against certainly you know some of the pharmaceuticals that I don't believe that they. They do do everything that they can do to make sure that these drugs are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, well, part of it's time and money, right? I mean, you could you could test uh, you could test things, and, and they actually do test things. But in, in the pharmaceutical example, for uh, typically for years and years, and I and I don't uh, um, I forget some of the numbers offhand. But the last time I looked at pharmaceutical, they talked about, and this is the reason why they're so keen on um, patent protection and, and, and recovering investments, is because you know you can spend um, you know many many billions of dollars uh, developing a new drug and getting it getting it to market. Um, and going through all of the hoops that the various governmental organizations uh, would have you go through, uh, and the same is true with uh, with new sorts of uh, food and new sorts of of crop species as well. 
you know, there are FDA responsibilities, there are EPA responsibilities, and uh, and on top of which, if the moment you leave the country and, and try to do something in uh, in a place like India or China or what have you, every country has its own sorts of regulations, and there are some countries that just uh, flat out prohibit the um, the importation of any uh, any GM crops at all, uh, and yet unlike pharmaceuticals, where you have a good deal of control over um, over where uh, you know what's in the bottle and, and where the bottle goes, when you start talking about crops that are growing in an open field, uh, things come into play like the climate and the wind and the rain and, and all of these sorts of things. Um, and one of the things that that really uh, sets a lot of people off is the idea that uh, that what you're growing in your um, small confined uh, test field um, can easily end up you know across the road in my uh, my non gm field and, and there's nothing that uh, you know there's nothing that I can do about it and not only that but I may not even be aware of the fact that that has happened you know until someone takes a sample and does a test and finds out that sure enough the uh, you know this new genetic thing that you're testing ended up in places where you didn't anticipate it going Right. I happened to do a little, I jumped on the Internet knowing that we were going to be talking this morning, and I looked at, uh, for instance, in Spain, uh, they were talking about that 25%, up to 25% of the organic uh, crops have actually been infected, so to speak, uh, with um, these GM crops that are grown, you know, alongside of them, mm-hmm. and the tests that they've done is that, and there is a concern, especially in the organic inter- industry here in the United States, that uh, many of the organic farmers are smaller farms, um, and them being, you know, infected. Um, yeah, and they don't necessarily, and if and if they are, you know, small independent private sorts of uh, outfits. Um, if you do try to, uh, if you like, make a case out of it, it's very difficult because you're typically going up against, uh, you know, very large Fortune 500 type uh, type companies that that have uh, that have all sorts of resources. Um, and it's a, um, uh, as I say, it's a, it's a difficult thing um, containing uh, containing um, crops that uh, that grow uh, that grow in the outside. Uh, there's even a, uh, for example, you'll you'll see reference made to um, to things called super weeds, and the premise here is that. Um, while the objective may originally have been to build a um, anti-pesticide capability into a plant, for example, um, if that plant somehow crossbreeds, whether it's through wind or whatever, uh, with with some sort of uh, non-productive plant, like like a weed of one kind or another, and that weed develops that anti-pesticide capability, then you've sort of shot yourself in the foot a little bit because the things that you would otherwise um, um, be doing away with, uh, you've in fact not only um, not done away with, but you may have even uh, uh, you may have even made made a situation worse. And they do, in fact, one of the uh, one of the things that the the, the firms who who deal with GM try to do, uh, and this also has pros and cons, is this concept of a uh, of a terminator gene. And what that means is that the plant is engineered in such a way that it will not reproduce in a second generation. Um, and the premise of that is that if one of these tra- traits happens to jump from the actual cultivated crop into, say, a weed of some kind or another, that it won't propagate because the weed won't be able to reproduce. So you'll have the one generation and that will be it. But the uh, the other side of that particular piece of technology uh, is you get into a debate about farmers in countries that have historically held back a portion of each year's uh, crop to use as seed uh, in in a subsequent year. 
which means they don't have to rebuy new seeds from one year to the next. Um, with these uh, with these Terminator equipped species, they can uh, you know it's it's certainly in the company's economic interest to to require that the farmers who buy these things because they are more expensive, um, you know that they have to rebuy them every uh, every year. And there's a tremendous amount of debate uh, in a lot of countries about whether that element uh, of things is is going to be allowed, even if they you know even if they are uh, are okay with the um, the actual benefits of the crop, whether it's about nutrition or whether it's about storage life or whatever it may be, the idea of forcing the local farmers to have to buy these things year after year is uh, is often uh, very hotly debated. Has there really been any research that you're aware of on the effect on the insect population in these areas where people where um, we're developing GM crops? Uh, I'm not really aware. I didn't come across anything that specifically talked about um, re- researching that possibility of jumping from one to the next. There is a, there's at least one example I can think of where there's a kind of fish, for example, that thrives in very cold Arctic weather, and scientists have tried to figure out how to move that gene uh, the other direction into plants to make the those plants uh, uh, behave better in cold weather, um, but the question of whether that can that, that transference can actually occur from plants to animals is uh, is very much open to debate and uh, and is the subject of uh, uh, of a lot of discussion actually in the book. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. We're going to keep talking about talking with uh, Brian Swain. His book is World Hunger, and it uh, is is a fiction novel, even though we're talking about a lot of real premise. Mm-hmm. here um, today about the effects of uh, uh, genetically modified crops that are being grown all over the world. And his book is available at Amazon.com. So go to Amazon, check Brian out, check out the book. And um, actually the premise of the book is a, sort of a feasible or plausible premise. Um, so, um yeah, but there's a lot to this subject, and I think that it's a subject, since there's so much for people to think about, I think it's a subject that we don't think about very often, like you said, especially here in the United States. Yeah, you know? and the hope is that, uh, you know, I sort of characterize this book as, you know, 75 80% uh, entertainment and 20 or 25% education, and I do think you get quite a lot of that out of the story as well. Yeah, do we, uh, I could see this uh, being a movie, of course. All right, so we'll be right back here with Brian Swain and World Hunger. Are you tired of being tired? Are you sick of being sick? Tune into the Dr. Pat Show to hear Donna Eden, the world's most joyous and sought-after spokesperson for alternative medicine. Share how you can shift your energies to create health and vitality using quick and easy techniques. Donna Eden, author of the classic book, Energy Medicine, has upcoming workshops in Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, and Los Angeles. For more information and to receive a special discount on her classic book and DVD, visit DonnaEden.com. Renowned women's wellness pioneer, Dr. Christiane Northrup, will share her cutting-edge ideas in her new upbeat and eye-opening tour, Menopause and Beyond. Learn how to prevent hot flashes, calm your mood swings, lose weight, and have the best sex after menopause. Remember, when menopause comes knocking at your door, it's time to say, bring it on. See Dr. Northrup in a city near you this fall. For tickets, visit drnorthrup.com. 
Diets and drugs only address symptoms of ill health rather than providing solutions to the problems such as weight gain and chronic pain. Spending just 30 minutes in a portable sauna that uses far infrared technology can burn 600 calories, rid your body of toxins, and reduce pain. If you're tired of quick fixes that don't work, consider the long-term solution. Detox America's portable bar infrared sauna. Call 888-338-6987 or visit DetoxAmerica.com. Carol Haywood Babrowskis is a seer and an author who has been watching evolution in action since her third eye opened wide in 1987. Her observations reveal a very hopeful path for the future of Earth and humanity to evolve to a place where love and peace prevail. You can find out about her book, Passionate Pinky and the Evolutionary Experiment, as well as her fun workshops by calling 425-222-9455 or visit passionatepinky.com. What does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon. You're listening to CHSR Real Radio on the web. Well, good morning. Good morning. This is Ava sitting in today for Dr. Pat. And Dr. Pat sends her greetings. She'll be back with you on Monday. Today our guest is Brian Swain. He's written a book called World Hunger. And we've been talking about uh, the uh, the issues around genetically modified crops, um, how much information that is actually available here in the United States about that, how much of this is actually going on in the United States and around the world. Um, but I wanted to ask Brian, uh, what was the nemesis for this book? What what basically you know? I mean, coming from being someone who'd written quite a lot of poetry. Um, this seems like a bit of a stretch. Yeah, a bit of a stretch, right? Yeah, it's, um, um, I had, uh, as you say, I had written um, and, and continue to actually write a fair bit of poetry and, and do uh, readings and, and, and all of those sorts of things. And, uh, um, but this is a little bit of a departure. Uh, I suppose the, uh, the branching off point for this was, was um, getting away from, from poetry for a while and, and doing some short fiction. And, and as, as I think very often happens with novels, the, uh, the original idea uh, you know, comes from a short story and you, you sort of build it out and you can do a lot more, of course, with a, with a novel than you can with a short story between the characters and the, the details. In this case, um, a lot of scientific details, a lot of corporate details. Um, because I come from a, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in a corporate environment for, uh, uh, for, for a very long time, and so I'm familiar certainly with the, uh, while not on the biotech side, I've never worked in that industry, um, I'm familiar with the general uh, corporate mindset and uh, notions like risk management and innovation and how, how safe is safe, right? You know, how, how um, certain do we have to be of what we're doing before we're comfortable um, going, uh, going out into market and, and selling something for mass consumption. So the idea here, um, I had uh, um, for a very long time had a, had a 
interest in in the whole notion of, of genetically modified crops. I mean, this has been going on probably since the uh, gosh, I want to say late seventies, early eighties, uh, when the first uh, species of, of of corn were put out there that had these these anti pesticide capabilities built into them. Uh, and as I began reading about that, and it, it began coming up more and more in the press, and it, it you know it evolved from corn to rice to wheat to uh, you know tomatoes that had longer shelf lives because they could control the color and when they ripened and, and just on and on. Um, it, it's a, it's always been a, a fascinating uh, topic. Um, and since I like um, stories in general and telling stories and writing stories, uh, the, the idea became: Can you take that, um, do something with at least some educational value, but build a good story around it that will make people actually want to read it? Um, part of the uh, part of the challenge here is that you've got a. Uh, if you think in terms of the kinds of books that people read, you've got a lot. Of, you've got a, a great deal of people who read um, nonfiction and. and Technical types of things who, who may have more of a uh, knowledge base around GM. Uh, and then you have, a, I would argue, a far greater percentage of the population who primarily read fiction. Um, and it may be uh, light sort of, uh, you know, commercial fiction or airport fiction, if you like, or it may be the, the heavier, uh, you know, the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award sorts of things. But people who read fiction, in my experience, wouldn't really have any good way of being exposed to this notion of GM crops and, and the issues that go with that. Um, because I have not encountered, and in searching along the way, I still haven't encountered any other fiction titles that uh, that explore this uh, this notion at all. So it seemed like a good opportunity to uh, to tell an entertaining story, hopefully with with good characters and interesting characters that people can relate to, and at the same time um, get into uh, exploring all of the issues that go with uh, with GM and uh, and have people come away who otherwise really wouldn't have any sense of, uh, of if not the answers, at least what the sorts of questions are that, that they perhaps ought to consider when uh, when thinking about this kind of technology. Well, yeah, I think I think that, that that's a great point, and um, I agree with that. It's that you're reaching a part of the population that would not normally pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it goes back to the original, um, you know, idea that there's so many people in our country that, are just completely ignorant of the fact that this is even going on. I mean, people are so inundated with so many different things to have to stop and also think about, um, you know, their food and, and how, where that's coming from, and most people have absolutely no idea. Well, and I think that's why, you see, when, when, when the debate comes up, for example, around uh, labeling of packaged products, or for that matter, even just buying vegetables on a, on a shelf in a grocery store, um, there are at least two reasons why companies tend to um, push back and, and fight against that. One is because it's not in necessarily in their interest to, uh, to have that information out there, because then it makes much more visible to the average consumer um, what is, uh, you know, what, what's in the things that they're buying. But also, from a corporate standpoint, it's a very difficult thing to even accurately assess and, and put onto a label. You know, if you're somebody who makes corn chips or, or some kind of packaged snack food, you know, the, the raw material that those are made from comes from all over. And keeping track of, you know, which shipments of, of corn are GM and which shipments of corn are organic and which shipments of corn are, 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 some, are characterized in some other way and knowing, you know, which percentages are what um, becomes a very challenging thing for, for a corporation to do logistically. Um, so when you combine those two those two issues um, together, it, it 
tends to not be uh, not be a very attractive option for uh, from a corporate standpoint. Well, yeah, because of course they're interested in profits now, and I think that there's and again keeping in mind that I do have a bias in this in this arena, um, but it seems to me from my perspective that there's a long history of rushing things to market and then finding out later on how dangerous those things are. Yeah, and there are two, and there are two, there are two elements of that, right? I mean, part of it is what do you do on the front end, which is the, um, you know, do you rush things to market? Do you try to, you sort of, if you like, beat out your competition who you probably know is working on the same thing? You know, when do you sort of declare that enough, you know, safe is safe and, and we're gonna, we're gonna go out with it? And then the other half of that is when a problem emerges, down the road, if a problem emerges, how as a company do you respond to that um, to that crisis, if you like? Uh, and there are numerous examples and lots and lots of books written specifically on the subject of corporate crisis management, and they give all sorts of examples of ways in which companies uh, handle those well and, uh, and ways in which they handle them not so well. I mean, popular examples include like the uh, the Johnson and Johnson Tylenol thing that happened uh, several years ago, and they got very high marks for the response to what was ultimately a small number of cases. In this case, it had nothing to do with the product; it was tampering by by some third party person. They you know they they yanked every uh, bottle off the shelf um, in response to that, as opposed to things like uh, you know oil tanker cases that are well known, where to this day companies that you know that have uh, uh, that have had crashes and uh, and oil leaks that have have not uh, paid a dime and uh, and spent quite a good deal of effort fighting against those things. All right. Well, we're going to go to the break and we're going to come back and have more conversation about with Brian Swain. His book is World Hunger. It's available on Amazon.com. And we're having a great conversation about the effects of genetically modified crops and some possible scenarios in fiction of what could occur. The secret is no longer a secret, but still life's deepest questions remain. How will you answer them? See One, the movie, and join the ultimate conversation at OneTheProject.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Pat, the host of The Dr. Pat Show. Now, the film phenomenon that has been transforming hearts across the world is available online at OneTheProject.com. Experience One the Movie and find your answers. Find out how to avoid being the next victim of cancer, heart disease, obesity, or diabetes. In his webinar series, The Cure, Save Your Body, Heal Your Life, Dr. Timothy Brantley, the number one best-selling author of The Cure, will share an overview of disease in America, how our eating patterns are destroying our bodies, miracles of natural healing, and his proven guidelines for health, detoxification, and regeneration. Sign up for the webinar series by visiting BrantleyCure.com. Ladies, your soul is whispering to you. Are you listening? Imagine a woman's magazine dedicated to your inner journey and the deeper aspects of a woman's life. Do you feel an inner tugging of the heart? A desire to live deeper and connect more fully? Aspire magazine features inspiring articles, interviews, and more, and is the premier inspirational and spiritual publication for women. Aspire magazine, inspiration for a woman's soul. 
Subscribe today at AspireMag.net and have inspiration delivered right to your door. Being a mother is amazing, but it's not always easy, at least until now, on the It's All About You seven-night cruise to the Mexican Riviera. Join the Mom's Town moms, Mary Goulet and Heather Ryder, on April 5th to the 12th, 2008, on this illuminating excursion, where you'll find real advice on how to balance your love, family, work, money, and health. Bring back the life you crave. Attendance is limited, so call now. I can do it at C.com. Affordably priced healer's guide is the perfect gift for self, family members, friends, and relatives who want to know how to enjoy a holistic lifestyle and improve their health. A combination of authored book, resource guide, and community participation, Healer's Guide brings you the latest health and lifestyle information. Educational, yet easy and fun to read. It has something for everyone, including thousands of dollars in savings and a $2,600 grand prize. This exceptional publication is available in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Phoenix, and Vancouver. To order your copy of Healer's Guide 2007 with free shipping, visit HealerGuide.com. That's HealerGuide.com. Plus, if you have a holistic business or happen to be a healthcare provider who would like their services featured in upcoming Healer Guides, call now at 800-495-7106 or visit HealerGuide.com. You choose programs you want, never anything you don't. The way radio should be. HealthyLife.net. Good morning. If you're just joining us now, this is Eva. I'm sitting in for Dr. Pat and for the Dr. Pat Show. And I'm interviewing Brian Kenneth Swain. And you can go to Brian's website, briankennethswain.com, and you can see more about his book, World Hunger. You can also uh, look into the book, Secret Places, which is his collection of poetry. And maybe we can talk, maybe in the next segment, Brian, we can talk a little bit more about, uh, about your poetry. But for right now, let's continue on talking about your book, uh, World Hunger. Okay. And um, we've been having a conversation about uh, the plausibility of uh, genetically modified crops um, actually impacting uh, insects and that sort of thing. And, um, and the idea that this book could actually get some folks that normally wouldn't be thinking about these kinds of scenarios to actually be asking some questions about the, long, the possible long-term effects of using genetically modified crops and how that affects not only people, but our environment. You know, we talked about the idea of weeds, of insects, of birds, of, um, you know, our whole ecosystem. Yeah, and I mean, once you get, um, you know, once you, we were saying before about the possibility of uh, inadvertent, um, if you like, crossover uh, from a uh, from a GM crop to uh, another field, say miles and miles away, where where a farmer that has nothing to do with this perhaps isn't even aware that this is going on, uh, and and it may and there have been, even been cases where the first that a uh, a non GM farmer was, was became aware that that something bad had happened was that he uh, you know completed his harvest and began exporting crops someplace and they got picked up and tested somewhere and uh, and it turned out 
that there was, uh, you know, evidence of a, of a gene from uh, from the original field, and uh, and for that reason, perhaps uh, the farmer wasn't able to sell it or wasn't able to import uh, uh, whatever whatever he had grown into uh, into one of these other countries, um, and various sorts of uh, litigation come up about that from time to time, and it's uh, uh, it's a difficult thing. It's not necessarily difficult to prove because if you know where the crop was grown and you know what else is nearby, then then I think that's that's pretty self-evident. But it is a difficult thing to um, to certainly control, particularly uh, if the farmer who's affected inadvertently is somebody who is going out of his way to grow, say, an organic crop, or or at least maybe not organic, but a but a non-GM crop. And I think part of what's going on nowadays, we were talking earlier about the the U.S. and the level of awareness and or ignorance about this. Um, part of the dilemma. Uh, I think stems from our use of terms. You know, people have historically simply gone into the grocery store and bought whatever they want. Now, uh, in recent years, uh, there's been an upsurge in in uh, organic uh, in the organic market, and for a long time, it was a local uh, sort of thing. You, if you wanted that, you had to sort of seek it out. Right, you had to go to a, a farm store or some some local place or a co-op maybe or something like that. And in, in, in very recent days, I think probably in the past year or two, um, the larger, the very large organizations like, uh, you know, the Targets and the Walmarts and those guys have realized that there's a market uh, on the organic side. Um, and they've actually begun marketing and selling some of these products as well. And so it's easy to imagine that a consumer who hears sort of peripherally about concepts like organic and GM and so forth but doesn't know much about them could walk into a store and begin seeing, uh, if you like, conflicting information and, and you know, about this is organic or this is not organic and, and what does that really mean and, uh, and, and come away arguably more confused than anything else because it's not as though you're going to find a lot of information in the store about what a term like organic uh, or, say, non-GM actually means unless you're prepared to go home and, uh, uh, and do a lot of research about, uh, about your groceries, which I, I expect uh, the great majority of people probably are not prepared to do that. Yeah, the great majority of people you know, really aren't. And so the questions that are rising for me is that we talked about this strain of corn, for instance, that uh, sort of excretes its own uh, pesticide, which would mean that there wouldn't be as much of a need for pesticides. Now, would, would it be possible that a crop like that could also be called organic? Well, this is, um, this is where you get into the, uh, the debate about what terms mean. And I don't know, for example, I'm sure you could probably track down somebody in the FDA or wherever who could tell you what they, what they think they mean when they talk about a crop being organic. I think the average consumer, um, if they, if they, if they pondered the term organic, probably would assume that that meant not only no GM uh, component to it, but also that there were no, um, for example, chemical pesticides used, which, of course, have been used for, for decades and decades, and that presumably the only thing that was used to uh, uh, to grow whatever this crop was was water and perhaps some sort of natural fertilizer and, uh, and that that was the limit of it. Um, again, I, I don't know offhand what... Uh, what the official definitions of, of, of those terms are any more than I expect uh, the average consumer does when they walk into a store. I mean, they read about organic and they, they think that sounds good and sounds positive, and so they go into perhaps, uh, you know, Whole Foods or, or someplace like that and uh, without a really rich understanding of, uh, of, of what that entails. 
Yeah, I think that, and I think that there is a huge debate right now, um, you know, in terms of even what is organic um, and people and labeling things organic that maybe really aren't organic. And and like you said, I mean, it does sort of take you having an education in anything to really understand it. And for the most part, my most people is that they just don't have enough time to. Think about all this. Well, you bet. So in particular, if you think about if you think about um, the fact that also organic um, in general is costing the consumer more, they're paying they're typically paying a, a pretty hefty premium for that for for yeah. buying that yeah. again without necessarily knowing what they're what they're paying the extra money for. Other than of course, there's going to be some kind of feel good factor associated with it. But as far as chemically, what is actually there or not there? Um, you know, you're paying extra for something that you may not be all that. Uh, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to um, finish up our last segment being able to talk with Brian. You can know, learn more about Brian by going to his website, which is briankennethswing.com, and the book is also available at amazon.com. And we'll be right back with more with Brian. Vacation with the Hay House Superstars. Sign up for the most outlandish Hay House conference yet aboard a luxurious cruise ship. I can do it at sea. Meet some of your favorite authors, including Wayne Dyer, Carolyn Mace, Marianne Williamson, and Doreen Virtue, plus soul-nourishing workshops, parties, gorgeous port cities, and more, all amid a breathtaking backdrop of the Mexican Riviera. Space is limited, so reserve your cabin today at ICanDoItAtSea.com. Psst, hey you, come here. I got something to tell you. Are you ready to meet your life partner but need a good avenue? SpiritualSingles.com has the largest database of conscious spiritual members on the Internet. When you're ready to meet someone, join SpiritualSingles.com. But make sure you're really ready, though, because it works. SpiritualSingles.com. Dating, events, and even retreats. Don't forget, that's SpiritualSingles.com. Join today. You'll be glad you did. Find out how you can change the world with the coffee you drink. Nectar of Life Coffee Company is a kosher, fair trade, and organic certified coffee roaster. They purchase shade-grown organic fair trade coffees from the farmers at a fair price. By choosing to only roast organic fair trade coffee, they're helping the farmers and their consumers live healthier, complete lives. To purchase coffee or to learn more, visit NectarOfLife.com or call 509-979-5245. What does it take to feel young again? To be filled with vitality? To wake up feeling clear and refreshed? To live without allergies? More and more Americans are wondering if it's even possible. Founder of the Life Force Center in Los Angeles, Dr. Jeffrey McCombs, has been researching, developing, and refining a unique system that doctors and patients from around the world are saying offers them all of this and more. Visit LifeForcePlan.com or call 1-888-236-7780. Water. In the hot summer sun, water is a natural thought, like relaxing at the beach with the waves lapping at your feet, or perhaps being with your significant other under a secluded, gently cascading waterfall. If you want a little more action, how about water skiing or boating on an icy, clear blue lake? With Expedia.com, everything you need for travel, flights, hotels, cruises, vacation packages, they have it all. At a price you can afford, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Expedia.com. 
Pep it up with positive energy power right here on HealthyLife.net. This is Ava sitting in today with for Dr. Pat for the Dr. Pat Show, and my guest is Brian Kenneth Swain. And you can log on to Brian's website at BrianKennethSwain.com. That's S W A I N, and uh, learn more about the book that we're discussing today, which is World Hunger. Right. And also, um, his poetry books are also available there as well. But I wanted to continue on and maybe wrap up a little bit on uh, your book, World Hunger, uh, and then have an opportunity to talk a little bit about the other things that uh, you've, you've done in terms of your poetry. And we were just on the break talking about um, the reaction, so to speak, um, you know, some of the activists um, when it comes to GM, uh, people just saying, no, GM is bad, and, um, and you, you had some comments about that. And I, I wanted to get into that a little bit because... I wondered if, in some ways, some of the reaction that we see of people, which is sort of black and white, saying this is bad, um, isn't in some ways a reaction to um, many of the things that have happened in the past of rushing things to market and having some really bad things occur 20 years down the road, yeah, um, things showing up in terms of uh, birth defects in our children because of something that was done 20 years ago. Yeah, and we, and we never, we never really, really know. But I think part of where, part of where this comes from is the fact that uh, the, the news industry, by definition, is 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 sort of predicated largely on on the reporting of of bad things that happen. Right? I mean, this is you know it's constantly bemoaned by everybody. You never hear about positive things, but you hear about you know cases of illness or cases of uh, corporate malfeasance of one kind or another or, or whatever it may be uh, and the point that i was making during the break was um, i did not it was not a goal of writing the book to put something out there that that is designed to convince people of of all the reasons why gm is a bad thing because on balance it's uh, it's probably not the point of the book was to raise as many of the issues around the conversation and the debate as possible, and to do so in a setting, as we've discussed earlier, that people who read largely fiction would, would encounter, because those people might not be inclined to read, you know, GM nonfiction or technical literature, uh, and to provide a basis for a debate and a discussion and an understanding uh, of all of the issues that go with GM, rather than to, you know, to put sort of a tract out there, if you like, that that just says, you know, here, here's a, here's this anti-GM book because that's really not what it is at all. And, and, right. and there's even there's a short introduction in the front that sort of uh, expounds on that that particular point as well. Just just positioning it as uh, a way of helping people become informed. Right. Yeah. I think I think that the main thing, like you said, the the important thing is that everyone asks questions. You bet. And um, there's so many. And I know for me as well, there are so many, you know, beliefs that I have, thoughts that I've had in the past that were incorrect simply because I didn't ask enough questions about something. And some of them may be questions, quite frankly, that in the short term, as you suggest, uh, don't have any good answer um, around safety and long-term effects and so forth, but uh, but simply thinking about them and discussing them and putting the onus uh, on the, on corporations to to be responsible for the for the longer-term uh, effects of, of what they're selling, um, 
that in itself is, is, a, is a real important uh, outcome of all of this. And I think that when, when enough of the population does ask questions, then it does increase accountability. Um, and the reason that a lot of times these things are um, happen and later on we find out that they're a bad thing is because um, they've done something and they've gone unchecked. You bet. And there really is, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, there, there really is, um, particularly in the activist community, there is a very strong tendency to take things like this and make them very black and white, as you said, and to, to simply uh, advocate against uh, all things GM, if you like, rather than to engage in a, uh, in a debate and a conversation about all the various issues and to understand which ones uh, have some pretty good answers and, and which ones... Um, you know, reasonable people can simply agree to disagree about. Right, right. Well, I just want to wrap up about your book and have enough time here at the end to talk about some of the other things that you've done. Um, let's give out your website one more time, Brian. Yeah, it's uh, Brian with an I, Kenneth Swain, S-W-A-I-N, one big long word, dot com. Uh, and there's information there, um, certainly lots of information about world hunger. There are excerpts uh, from the book. There is some uh, press comments, reviews, that sort of thing, um, and some, some biographical information. And then also on the website uh, um, is uh, some information that uh, Ava's referred to a couple of times around uh, earlier uh, and actually some current um, uh, poetic work that I've done uh, as well. So tell us about your poetry and how did you... Uh uh, when did you start writing poetry? And I actually, you know, I find like a lot of people, I did. Uh, I started doing it uh, way back in high school, and, uh, and mercifully, uh, all, most of that work is, uh, as they say, lost to antiquity. But um, I started writing poetry again uh, reasonably seriously when I first um, moved to the Houston area, which was about eight years ago, um, and have been doing so um, pretty continuously since then. Uh, the book that's referred to on the website, uh, Secret Places, is uh, one that came, a lot of the work, in that book um, is based in, in the New England area and Maine in particular, which is, uh, which is where I grew up, um, which couldn't probably be more different than, uh, than Houston. If, um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of it is just based on experiences there and, um, and really is very, very different from, from anything we've talked about in World Hunger. You, you almost wouldn't know that it's, it's the same person if you, if you picked up both of those books. Please visit Brian's website. We've had a wonderful discussion today, and hopefully one people have an opportunity to ask questions about uh, uh, GM crops, about how our food supply, and then also look at Brian's website to um, look at some of the other work that he's done. So if you're not necessarily a fiction writer, then um, there's an opportunity to look at some of his poetry and I, and I certainly welcome anyone's comments. There's a uh, there's email information on the site. You can contact. You can sh if you have uh, points of view about uh, the whole GM debate. I'd uh, I'd, I'd love to uh, certainly engage in that conversation. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for being our guest. Today. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and thank you very much as well. Thank you very much. So that's Brian Kenneth. Swain.com. The name of the book is World Hunger, also available, of course, at Amazon. And I believe your poetry is available at Amazon as well. Correct? You bet. Would you like one of the most rewarding sales jobs of your life? 
The Dr. Pat Show has rapidly grown into a number one talk radio show, hailed for its remarkable guests, sponsors with integrity, and amazing listeners. Dr. Pat is in search of a creative, self-starting, energetic person to join the marketing team. If you're interested in helping to promote and sustain The Dr. Pat Show, submit your resume to pat at thedrpatshow.com. This is your opportunity to make a difference in the world. Learn to deliberately design the life you really want. Discover how with the Avatar Course. The first step is free. Call 1-800-270-5111 to learn more. Free Avatar events happen nationwide. And the International Course starts October 27th. Visit AvatarAloha.com and call 800-270-5111. You can change your life and improve the world. It's that time of year again. Just so many things to do. It just doesn't leave a lot of time for fashion shopping. But I discovered that I don't have to give up being fashionable and I could actually save time and money. How? I found Chadwick's fashion catalog right on HealthyBike.net's advertiser page. So I clicked through and wow, I have a whole new wardrobe coming to me for a fraction of the mall price and I never had to leave the house. I shopped when it was convenient for me. I can see why Chadwick's is America's favorite off-price fashion catalog for women and a positive advertiser on Health. HealthyLife.net. We're HealthyLife.net, reaching and helping a worldwide audience without hype, without shock, and without shenanigans. Well, this is Eva signing off for Dr. Pat today, and please visit Dr. Pat's website, thedrpatshow.com. We have some huge surprises that are going to be happening uh, coming up, and I can't reveal those surprises yet, but if you log on to our website, um, in the next couple of days, you're going to get uh, the unveiling of our surprises. I want to thank Brian for being on the show with me today and talking about his new book, World Hunger. And I very and much appreciate the opportunity, and thank you. Yes, and please visit Brian's website as well, BrianKennethSwain.com. And I want to thank Jay for helping us out today, keeping us on track. And uh, Dr. Pat will be back with you all next Monday. Thank you so much. <laughs>